November 5th may be a day you recall from the Back to the Future film. Uh, it was on that day in 1955 that Doc Brown came up with the flux capacitor. I can't help but think that may be a nod to a real-life event that occurred on the same date 20 years later in 1975, when the Sex Pistols performed their first public show, ironically, on the same day. In Snowflake, Arizona, in the Apache Sitgraves National Forest, a 22-year-old forestry worker named Travis Walton was taken by alien beings and vanished without a trace for five days before being returned. It's one of the U.S.'s most documented modern alien encounters. 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 I'll get it in post. It's evil! Don't watch it! It's alive! They're coming to get you. This is me. Hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Well, Hello, Mr. Fancy Pants podcast. And today we have a special guest. We have uh, Mr. Poss joining us from Central Illinois. How you doing, Poss? Doing really good, man. Good to see you again. You as well. It's been a minute. It has. You so. escaped. You, you had to escape velocity. You got out of Illinois while you still could. It's never too late. Never too late. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> so, uh, how you doing today, Spar? Oh, good? I'm doing. I'm doing good. It's good to see Matt again. So it's been a while. You, and, <laughs> you guys have you guys have no excuse. You are uh, you're literally like 20 minutes from each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard, man. When you're a musician, you know, you never see your friends. Yeah, I know. Except your bandmates, and you usually hate half of them. So. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah, that's what a family is, man. That's right. It's a love hate relationship. Well, uh, what do you guys know about this incident? You guys have you obviously you've probably heard of this. I know they made a you know they made a movie about it. It was all over the news back in the you know seventy five. No fire. In yeah, I think you were a little too young back then. You know, I don't, Jack, I don't think you were alive yet. I think but, I was. Uh, I was. I, I was negative too. I was hanging out somewhere. <laughs> I, I remember the movie they made about it. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's kind of bullshit, but yeah, they did make a movie about it. But was th- it? that was a very uh, the clear like depiction of an abduction. Whenever the guy goes out into the forest to check it out, and then like he gets beamed up. I mean, that was the first time I was like, whoa. Yeah, 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 that was pretty good special effects for the day. Yeah, yeah. Was and then was the, that, then the, the eyeball Patrick? scene, man. Was it that Robert, sounds right? Robert yeah, Patrick. I think, that's, right. I, yeah. I think that's how he got in X Files. I think you know after. Oh, was that right? I bet, I bet it was from that movie. I didn't look and into then, it, but I, and then also, uh, what's the guy's name? Henry, the guy that from um, ET. Henry, uh, the guy, that, the kid that played Elliot. He's in that too. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. He, yeah, I didn't. he played like the youngest member on the on the team that they were out there but uh, okay. yeah anyway let's uh let's let's get this go ahead no i didn't know the sex pistols has their first public gig that that day that's that i always i always that's try to research uh and try to find some interesting facts but yeah the exact same day that's awesome yeah they I think they got uh, like bottles thrown at them and stuff when they came over to the States. <laughs> yeah, they're probably terrible. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. It's punk rock. You're supposed to be bad. Well, That's right. 
<laughs> maybe not. Maybe not as bad as Sid. Maybe I mean maybe you could learn to play the bass. <laughs> this was that would that, that would be that would be pre Sid. Yeah, this was the original bass player. Oh, was he it? Joined, yeah, he joined later. Yeah, Sid Sid joined the band after the fact. Yeah. Okay, I thought I thought Sid was playing bass. Nah, nah. All right, gentlemen, you ready to dig into this? Dive yes, in. Sir. All right, feel free to, you know, if I miss something or you know something snarky you want to say to me, now's the time. Okay. Just oh, just interrupt don't. me whenever you want. You don't have to give me permission, my man. <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't. Be in there. All right. So Travis Walton lived in Snowflake, Arizona. At the time, in 1975, the population was around 6,300 people. So not a really big place, right? It's a small town. You know, one of those places probably kind of like where you both live. You know, everybody knows everybody. You know, yeah. it was yeah. founded It was founded by these two Mormons, uh, Erastus Snow and William Jordan Flake, hence the name Snowflake, back yeah. in uh, 1878 as a Mormon community. It's about 118 miles southeast of Flagstaff and about 51 miles north of uh, the Fort Apache Reservation in the Sitgraves National Forest. So that's kind of where we're at, which is up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. Uh, So at the time, 22-year-old Travis was working as a forestry worker uh, for his friend Mike Rogers, who was 28 at the time. Uh, Mike had been hired on contract from the U.S. Forestry Service to thin out and clear trees to be burned during the wet season in the Apache Sit Graves National Forest near Turkey Springs. Um, at the time, they were pretty far behind their schedule, and they'd been working from basically 6 a.m. to dusk in order to complete the job on time. And uh, the seven-man crew, described as a rough bunch, consisted of <laughs> Travis... Mike Rogers, Alan Dallas, uh, John Goulette, Dwayne Smith, Kenneth Peterson, and Steve Price, or Steve Pierce, I'm sorry. And all these guys knew each other except for uh, Alan Dallas was kind of a drifter kind of a dude. Uh, he was the a-hole of the bunch, if you will. Uh, he, he liked to pick fights and shit. So. Um, so that Wednesday started out like a normal day. You know, they went out and they cut some timber down. Part of them would cut the timber down. The other crew would start piling it up, you know, to be burned later. And uh, there was at some point during the day a close call between uh, Travis and Alan Dallas when uh, Dallas started, you know, cutting really close to Travis and like almost hit him with some down trees. Good. And uh, apparently some words were exchanged. But, uh, you know, they, they continued to put up with Alan because he was one of the fastest members on the crew and they were just trying to get the job done on time. Well, uh, you know? Alan, Alan was like taking passes at Travis's woman. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that actually, that morning, the morning yeah. before they left, he, they was, uh, he was telling uh, Travis's girlfriend that, that she needed to leave Travis for a real man like him. And, and then, a real man. And then Travis beat his ass. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't happy about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, guy, um, Travis used to be a boxer. He was into, like, he oh, yeah, was yeah. into karate and boxing and stuff like that. Yeah, I wouldn't and have I was with his keep girlfriend. In mind, the majority of these guys are all of Mormon faith. So, okay. I mean, 
when they get off work, it's not like, let's go get some beers. It's not even, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. That's kind of how the question. <laughs> so yeah, I used to work construction. So I, I was kind of like, I thought I was in that mindset. Like, you know, construction crews are rough. Oh, yeah. Especially oh, yeah. when you're 20, 20 years old or 23 years old or whatever. Man. Like, I, I imagine like a forestry worker would have to be somebody that's like, like construction tough, but also they've got some trucker blood in them too, you know, because right. <laughs> so they know all the dirty jokes. Right. So, you don't really want to mess with them, probably. Right, right. No. They know how to use that axe. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so these guys worked until just after 6 p.m., and then, you know, they all loaded up into Steve Rogers' 1965 double cab international truck, which sounds pretty badass. Uh, and they slowly started to make their way down this this uh, really rugged path that they had to get. And, you know, uh, they used to go down and hit all these bumps, and they used to call them thank you, ma'ams, because every time... Wham, bam. Thank you, man. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, so shortly after they begin, you know, heading home, they see this bright golden yellowish light from behind a hill on the right side of the truck. And at first they think, well, you know, maybe somebody is out there hunting in the dark using spotlights. Um, but as they get closer to the light, they see that it's coming from a higher point than the crest of the ridge, like above the tree line uh, when they had first noticed it. So they get pretty curious and they start driving towards the light. And so they drive into this clearing that they'd cut earlier. That was just full of brush piles that, you know, they were going to burn later. And they see this large disc shaped object hovering 15 feet over a pile of slash, a bunch of down trees um, that they'd cut. They, they said it was around eight feet tall and 20 feet in diameter. It was metallic and glowing like, uh, like a golden Glowing light is how they described it. So Mike stops the truck and Travis jumps out and immediately starts running towards this thing. I don't uh, get get that at all. To get a better look. And Mike's like, what the hell are you doing? Come back here, boy. And uh, the other men, you know, they all started shouting at him too. you know, tell him to come back. But he just made a straight line straight towards this thing. And uh, he, I guess he thought he was thinking it was going to fly off and he missed the opportunity to, you know, see what it was. He's like, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I'm going to take advantage of it. So that's what he did. Close enough. Well, that worked out really well for him, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So all the men state that up until this point, the craft had made no sound. It, you know, it just hovered there lighting up the night with this weird, strange golden light. And, uh, then they said that as soon as Travis was almost directly below the, craft it began to make these loud turbine jet like sounds and started to beep and then it began to wobble from side to side and at that point travis began to like kind of cautiously move away from it and just after he ducked behind this brush pile uh the six other men that were there they said they saw this beam of blue light come down from the disc and hit travis and they said that this blue light shot down from the bottom of the craft. And when it did, it made this crackling sound like a lightning strike. That's that's what they no. described it as. But then they say that they saw Travis uh, rise a foot into the air and kind of hover there with his arms and legs outstretched just for a moment. And then he was like blown back like 10 feet and he hit the ground really hard, like right in his shoulder, like his shoulder hit the ground first. And he was like- just laying there motionless. 
Travis said, Travis said it happened a lot quicker than what they did in the movie, but they didn't want to make it as fast. They wanted to like drag it out. So that's why he was like in the movie, they like levitated him up before they shot him back. But he said it was way quicker than that. Was like, I th- I, the way that I, the, that I found it described was like, it basically kind of sucked him up and then pushed him back. Yeah. It was just like, the sound oh, bam. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Trying to knock him out before they suck him up into the ship or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't well, know if they were trying to suck him up into the ship. That's just it. Yeah, I don't we'll know. Get, but we'll we'll get to cer- it. We'll get to it. It certainly knocked him out, though. The oh, other- yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Travis claimed that from the moment when the light hit him, he saw and heard nothing. And all he felt was this numbing force of, you know, the blow that he compared to a high-voltage electrocution. <sighs> so, at this point... These guys, the other guys, they freak the F out. Uh, they, they presume that Travis is dead, you know, and they took off like a bat out of hell in this truck, you know, fearing for their own lives. And for, a, you know, just a brief moment, they think this thing is like chasing them. So they go several minutes down this road and then they see this craft rise above the tree line and take off at a quote unquote highly improbable rate of speed. I'm, I'm trying sure to keep this like I'm, I'm trying to say these kind of things in this episode so I don't get anybody that tells me I'm using the wrong terminology. <laughs> well, too bad. That's um, going to happen anyway, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on, bitches. Uh, <laughs> okay. So at this point, Mike Rogers, he stops the truck and they sit in, you know, they kind of discuss slash argue for a little bit about whether or not they should go back to town or they should turn around and go look for Travis. And, uh, you know, finally, Mike says, look. I'm going back. If you want to stay here, that's fine. But he's, I'm going. And they all decided they'd go back and look for him, you know, and they, they presume they would find him there dead. So they go back and no Travis, no sign of Travis, no footprints walking away from what happened to Travis, no indention in the ground of Travis. He was just flat out gone. And so they searched the entire area for him for about an hour. And then they really start to freak out. And so they head into the nearest town, uh, which was Heber, Arizona. And uh, one of the crew, uh, Kenneth Peterson, he called the cops, the police, to report Travis was missing around 7.30 p.m. And uh, Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison answered that phone call. And when he initially reported this missing persons report to the sheriff, Kenneth failed to mention uh, that, you know, maybe they had seen a UFO. (laughs) He, he forgot to leave. He, he kind of left that part out. <laughs> Go ahead and leave so, that out. Yeah. So uh, Sheriff Ellison, you know, then meets with the crew and, you know, they tell him what happened. And, you know, he's while he's listening to this, he's like getting as close as he can to them, you know, to see if he can detect any sign, sign of like alcohol in their breath or marijuana on their clothes, anything like that. Nothing. I mean, they were stone sober. And uh, he said that two of the men were in tears they were all really visibly, visibly upset. And uh, before he called it in, you know, he told Kenneth Peterson, you know, you better be sure you're telling me the truth or you're going to you're fixing to be in a whole lot of trouble. And uh, even though he was really skeptical of uh, what they told him, he later said that, you know, if they were acting, they were awfully good at it because yeah. they all seem to be genuinely upset, you know, so. So Ellison calls it in to his superior, uh, Sheriff Marlon Gillespie, who uh, had Ellison keep them in 
in Heber until he could arrive there with another officer named Ken Copeland to interview them. And in less than an hour, Gillespie and Copeland arrived, and then they heard this tale from the crew. Uh, Mike Rogers was really insistent on returning to the scene as soon as they could to search for Travis. He wanted to take, you know, tracking dogs if possible, because, you know, this scent's fresh out there, and they could possibly find him. Uh, but no dogs were available. Um, so the police and the crew uh, returned to the scene, and uh, let's see, it, some of them did. All Not all of them did. Uh, crew members Smith, Pierce, and Goulet, they were really, really upset. They were too upset to search, so they went back to Snowflake, and, you know, they started telling their friends and their family what had happened. Uh, while the remaining men search the area, law enforcement officers start to become a little suspicious of the story because there's no physical evidence anywhere to be found. You know, no sign of Travis, no footprints, nothing. I mean, there's just nothing there. I do want to, I do want to say something real quick. I would like to, I'd like to get your guys' views on this because they said in the movie, like these guys went to the bar afterwards and would hang out. But in his story, they didn't actually hang out together. They went to work and then they went home and lived their separate lives. So if you see some dude that you just work with that you're not really friends with, he, I mean, he's just an acquaintance, basically, that gets sucked up or you think he gets thrown away from a ship. Are you running like hell or are you staying to help him? I'm running, I'm running like hell. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I like, mean, what are you going to do? It's fight or flight, you know? Yeah. And then going back to find him, I get because the ship left. So I'd be like, oh, yeah, we can go back and. I would assume it'd be like some gelatinous puddle. No, <laughs> right. but I'd want to get there. He yes, is right there, man. especially if you saw him get thrown to the ground. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, that's why well, they were well, like, "He's dead." Yeah, that's well. That's what they thought. Oh, that guy's done for. We let's go before it's us next. So I, yeah. right. I mean, I yeah. get that. Because he's a super good friend. I'd want to, you know, help, but yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, apparently Mike and Travis were like best buddies at this point. I mean, at this during this time. Yeah, I was talking uh, about the other guys in the crew that were wanting him to leave. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get that. All right. I'm going to continue if that's all right with you, Spar. Sorry. <laughs> we Sorry. Got, I was just, I was just, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're good. All right. So more cops show up, more volunteers start to arrive, and they continue to search the area still no trace of Travis and they start to become pretty concerned that if they didn't locate him, he might die of hypothermia because he'd only been wearing a jean jacket and jeans, like a denim jacket and jeans. And they knew that, uh, you know, if they didn't find him, he could die from hypothermia. So, um, anyway, in the desert up in the mountains at night, it's going to get cold. Oh, yeah, we, you know, we both lived in Phoenix, and it snowed. Yeah. You know, it got yeah. down to 30, 30 degrees still. <laughs> I mean, it right. get 90, 99 by noon, but yeah, it's, uh, it's the desert. That's what the desert is. Uh, so apparently, they started to split all these men up from the crew into separate search parties. And uh, this crew member, John Roulette, he says that he recalled one of the deputies telling him, you know, if you just show me where the body is or just tell me what you did with Travis, we can all go home. So, you know, the, the cops, you know, we're, we're in day one and 
the cops are yeah. already suspicious of what the hell's going on. Well, I don't even know if it's suspicious. I think they already think they know exactly what happened. Yeah. It's just like, well, this yeah. is the easiest way to do it. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. So after hours of searching, Mike Rogers and Sheriff Copeland, they go to Travis's mom's house. Um, her name is uh, Mary Walton Kellett. Um, and I guess her house is about 10 miles from Snowflake on a small ranch at uh, an area called Bear Creek. So Mike explains to her what happened. And when he gets done telling you know her this crazy, fantastical story, she, she has him repeat it. A couple times because uh, she's like just dumbfounded. She's not quite grasping it, and uh, I, I, I'd probably have to, you know, have at least two takes as myself. It's pretty freaking nuts what's going on here. <laughs> so, or she was doing her own kind of lie detector test to see how much yeah. the story varied. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when Mike gets done telling her for the final time, you know, she asks him very calmly. If anyone other than the police and other members of the work crew had heard this story and uh, Sheriff Copeland thought her response was kind of odd, but uh, Mary was known to be fairly guarded. You know, she raised six kids by herself pretty much because of that. She really didn't fall apart if the shit hit the fan. So, you know, she was just kind of like, well, it'll be all right. You know, she hoped for the best kind of thing. And uh, so, this also helped kind of uh, further Sheriff Copeland's suspicions that these guys might be trying to cover up Travis's disappearance. Yeah. So 3 a.m. that day, Mary calls her other son, Dwayne Walton. It's her second oldest son. And he drives to Snowflake from his home in Glendale, Arizona. By the next morning... Police and volunteers had searched the entire area where Travis had disappeared extensively. They found nothing. Like I said, no footprint, nothing. And this just pretty much furthered the police's belief that the crew was covering something up. You know, whether it was a homicide or work accident, something like that. Um, so they were all pretty much fucked from day yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, the cops were interviewing them all really pretty extensively. Um, they really pushed Travis's mother, Mary really hard, like to tears. They would drive to her house and just drill her over and over again with the same questions, hoping she's going to slip up, give up some new information. And they were just trying to force her to make some statements that they could use because they had zero physical evidence. And when all the, all the people are saying what they're, what they actually see, and there's just, there's no way anybody's going to believe it. I mean, you, well, you we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll get there in a second. Okay, but, okay, uh, yeah. So Dwayne gets to his mom's house and he sees what's going on. And he got just outraged. You know, he, he told the cops to leave. They weren't welcome there. You know, he told his mom, you don't have to answer the questions because you haven't been charged with anything. And he told the uh, police not to come back until you have some different questions to ask. He pretty much had it with the cops. Get it. I get it. So, yeah, yeah. Saturday, I think he arrived Friday evening. Uh, Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's when he arrived. Um, Saturday, the next day, Mike Rogers and Dwayne Walton, they, they storm into the sheriff's office and they're fucking pissed because they went to the scene to continue to look for Travis and there's nobody searching for him out there. 
All right. So at that point, the sheriff's like, well, shit, I better, I guess I better get my shit together and, you know, get some people out there. So by that afternoon, they had uh, a lot of people out there looking for him. With, uh, let's see, he had helicopters, horse-mounted police officers. He had Jeeps. Still no sign of Travis. Um, so by Saturday, word had gotten out uh, to news stations, newspapers. It's like a wet dream to them in the 70s, you know? Oh, you hear yeah. something like this. <laughs> Alien abduction or murder, regardless, it doesn't matter. It's going to sell papers, right? For yeah. sure. It went worldwide, made international headlines. The sheriff was pretty much overwhelmed by phone calls from all over the world wanting to know all the latest updates on the situation. And all these news reporters and ufologists from like NICAP, which is the National Inves- Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena, and MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, uh, and the uh, GSW, the Ground Saucer Watch. These guys all show up, okay? I never heard of that one. Uh, yeah, I didn't either. It's, uh, it's one of the poorest ones, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've okay. probably heard of NICAP and MUFON because they've got more oh, money. Yeah. Yeah, better, be better, better funding. Uh, so, one of these guys uh, named William Spaulding, he was with uh, the the Ground Saucer Watch. He he contacted the Waltons and he told them he would give Travis a free medical exam by a doctor if he had if he was returned. And he told them it was important for them to collect Travis's first voided specimen. Oof. Meaning, yeah, poo. No, 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 pit. Piss. They want his oh, piss. Oh, I was going. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's Wrong three end. specimens you could take. <laughs> <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically four if you want to get real particular. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but let's just go with the P first. Let's go with P. Uh, so all these all these groups were around because you know the Air Force had by this point I think it was in '68 they killed the Blue Blue Book Project Blue Book. Yeah. So the you know the Air Force isn't going to do anything about any claims to this. So. That's why all these UF, these ufologists have taken it on themselves to go out there and find out what's going on. I wish I, I wish I knew how they could afford to do that. Just just to ship off. I've seen something happen here, and I'm just going to travel there and try to document. How can you? I don't. Independent. Just wait. <laughs> okay. I'll, 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 I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, okay. Another one of these UFO investigators named uh, Fred Silvanus interviewed. Dwayne and Mike about the disappearance of Travis and that kind of fucked them both because Uh they fucked them. They fucked themselves in this interview of saying some things that would be used later by skeptics to lean the whole theory that the whole UFO things was a hoax. Uh, They gave the account of what happened to Sylvanas and then uh, they expressed their frustration with the police department, not taking them very seriously. Uh, Sylvanas recorded this whole interview on tape. And also during this interview, Mike pointed out that he would probably would not be able to finish his contract with the forestry service. And he hoped that Travis's disappearance would help to litigate the contract in court. Boom. Uh Right there. That doesn't sound good. Does it? No, that's bad. Okay. But, uh, his brother Dwayne did even better. Uh, he stated that, uh, you know, he and Travis, you know, they'd always believed in UFOs and, he said, you know, if we ever got the chance to encounter a UFO, they'd probably try to get as close as we could. If that, you know, if Travis had been taken, he was going to be fine because aliens were never going to hurt a human. And that's just the way it is. Well, he certainly did try to get close. 
He did. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, he, he also said that, like, several years earlier, he'd witnessed a, uh, a UFO similar to the one that the crew had. And uh, he was really more concerned about the fact that uh, he wasn't up there with Travis and all the spacemen. <sighs> so, you know, all these awesome statements they made, they pretty much laid the groundwork for all these skeptics and non-believers alike to just completely disprove this whole thing. Not not disappointed my brother's gone. I'm disappointed I'm not in a spacecraft with him. God damn it, it's my turn. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. Why does all the cool shit happen to Travis? Right? <laughs> so later, Travis would state that his brother Dwayne, all these claims that he made were false. He'd never had any interest in UFOs, and it's just some bullshit he made up. Basically, in the heat of the moment, he's trying to look, he's trying to look cool, you know? So on Monday, November 10th, uh, a polygraph examination was given by Cy Gillison uh, of the Arizona Department of Public Safety to all of the six crew members to determine if any of them were trying to cover up what happened to Travis. Steve Pierce, he was the youngest member of the crew, uh, who'd lied about his age to actually get the job. He was 17 when he got the job you're supposed to be 18 i guess to do this type of work he went first and he stated that he was really nervous about this test because he knew that the cops were trying to frame him to look guilty and that he thought they were probably going to be charged with chavis's murder Mm. uh so this this test per individual per individual was about two hours in length and they just asked the guys over and over again the same questions did you cause Travis Walton any physical injury last Wednesday? Did you know if Travis Walton was injured by some other member of your crew last Wednesday? Do you know if Travis Walton's body is buried or hidden somewhere in Turkey Springs area? Did you see a UFO last Wednesday when Travis disappeared? Yeah. Well, all these guys passed the polygraph. All of them. Uh, with one of them being inconclusive guess which one that was well, the asshole Al- got his ass Alan Douse. Yeah, no Alan Douse. yeah the uh, uh and it, it could have been because he's pissed off could have been because he was upset uh by inc- you know I, he passed it you know inconclusive means he passed but it you know he may not have been telling the whole truth well he it was he he didn't want to take it because they asked if he ever wished harm to him and they had just yeah. been in a fight that day, and he was like, right. I'm not answering that shit, because of course I did. So right, right. He came, he came back later and took it, and then passed yeah. it when he calmed this, down. This guy, yeah, he caused trouble. He liked to pick fights with anybody he could. Uh, you know, and like you said, they didn't, him, him and Travis did not get, get along. And uh, so, he was like, fuck y'all. <laughs> Do you think that's like a, is that like a biological trait in people? Like, is that a gene, uh, like the asshole gene or something? Like, I don't know. They're, they're, they're shit disturbers. They just like can't, they can't get along. They can't, uh, they can't play nice ever. Or they have to always, they always, there's always one in every crowd. There's, there's just one and is, or at least one. Yeah. And they're always like never satisfied, never happy. It's usually the bass player. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I thought you were going to say the bass player's girlfriend, but okay. <laughs> that's even better, yeah. That's even better, yeah. Uh, uh, so, John Goulet claims that even after all of these guys had passed the polygraph, Sheriff Gillespie still didn't believe him. Uh, many years later, the sheriff stated very carefully that he, quote, 
thought they were trying to tell the truth about everything, unquote. <laughs> trying to tell the truth about everything. Okay. Not tell- yeah. Yeah, well, now, how are you supposed now, to explain that? You you are trying yeah. to tell the truth. I don't know yeah. exactly what it was. Now, you know, polygraphs are not 100% no. reliable. Uh, they're not even submissible in court in, anymore. Uh, yeah. They haven't been for a while. I didn't know that. But yeah. uh, at that time, it was high-tech shit. Uh, yeah. And these men have all retaken the polygraph several times since that incident, and they have all always passed. So... Anyway, cool. so later that night, same day they took this polygraph and they all said, told you didn't kill him. Yeah. Uh, Travis's brother-in-law, Grant Nash, uh, receives a phone call around 12 midnight and he hears, Grant, it's Travis. I need help. And he initially thinks this is a prank, wrong number or something. But Travis tells him not to hang up. He says, this is Travis. I need help bad. And uh, he asked Travis where he was at, and Travis told him he was in a phone booth by the Amico station in Heber. So Travis calls Dwayne, and he goes and picks Dwayne up, and they drive out there to pick up Travis. Uh, Dwayne stated that he, you know, Travis was in really bad shape. He was dehydrated, really incoherent, and you know, when they first see him, he's like hunched up in the back of the corner of this uh, phone booth trying to back away from him as far as he could. And then he broke down and his arms sobbing like a baby, like just completely, completely broken. Like, you know what I mean? I get it. And you know, Travis right then and there tried to explain, you know, to his brother what had happened, but he was still in shock. And, you know, he didn't even know he'd been gone for five days. Like in his mind, it's still the same night. He disappeared. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. When, uh, when Dwayne told him to feel his face, you know, Travis noticed, oh my, sh-, you know, he's got five days worth of growth, you know, of a beard there. And Dwayne also said he looked like he hadn't eaten in five days. When, uh, when they weighed him later, he'd lost 12 pounds. <laughs> so, you know. It's a lot for five days. Yeah, it is. Uh, Dwayne did not contact the sheriff that night. He was, he was like, nope, I got to get this guy some help. So what he did was he called the guy from uh, the ground saucer watch the GSW William Spaulding. And then they drove Travis down to uh, Phoenix to see, I'm going to say this in quotes, quote unquote, Dr. Lester Stewart. But uh, Lester turned out to be a a hypnotherapist who'd been a medic in the army. And uh, rather than go through the trouble of actually going to med school, decided to just put the DR at the beginning of his name. There you go. So, Mm. They, they were there about 45 minutes and they were just like, you know, fuck this shit. We're out of here. Uh, but not before Dwayne gave Lester a jar of piss that he said was Travis's. So, <laughs> so at least he got, at least he got that first voided sample. Um, the, uh, test came back on that negative for drugs and alcohol, by the way. So, uh, the Waltons were also contacted by the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or APRO, uh, okay. who who was funded by, you were asking where all these guys get the money, funded by the National Enquirer. Oh, awesome. boy. Gee, that, well, that just, that really they, gives they, you a lot of stability there, doesn't it? <laughs> well, uh, they hired a hypnotherapist, which uh, helped him remember the details of, of the experience um, the five days he was missing. 
but as it turns out, he only remembered about 20 minutes of those five days. And Travis said that the sessions really didn't help him remember the experience. It more, it, uh, more clearly helped him verbalize the experience. So he just wanted to state that, um, so the five days that Travis was gone, uh, first thing he said he remembered was uh, waking up very slowly, regaining consciousness and feeling immense pain through his whole body. He said he had a bitter metallic taste in his mouth and he was really thirsty. He thought something was really wrong with him. Uh, you know, when he finally got his eyes focused, he sees uh, he's laying on this raised table down on his back and there's like a light directly above him and he can see like a triangular shaped metallic ceiling, you know, like the corner of it from you know it goes all the way from the floor and all the way to the top of the top of the room he thought that was really weird he's like wait what kind of room am i in what kind of hospital am i in right here you know yeah yeah so he's got he said he still had all his clothes on but his shirt and his jacket they're pushed up above his shoulders and he's got this weird shiny metallic device that's attached to him that's like around five inches thick and covers from under his armpits to just above his waist and he said he just sat there for a minute trying to figure out where he was at you know like a hospital. Uh, he said it was really hot, really humid, really hard to breathe. And the, uh, the air was very stale. And, uh, he said after his eyes finally started to focus, uh, he could see these three really blurry figures with white caps and masks start to kind of lean over him on the table. And as he focuses in on one of them, he notices it's got these giant dark eyes. He said these, these creatures, uh, eyes were dark brown and like the size of quarters. It was completely hairless, no eyelashes, no eyebrows. It had pale white skin, large cranium, and a small chin. He said it was human-like, a little under five feet tall, small hands and feet, and it was, they were all wearing these orange-colored suits similar to like coveralls, but he didn't notice any seams in any of the fabric or zippers or buttons, nothing. Um, He He was describing grays before grays was a thing. Well, he's technically the second to describe Grays because, you know, Betty and Bernie Hill. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't as, wasn't as well known, I guess. So. Right, right. You know, he, he mentioned their disproportionately larger heads than their bodies. He said that their bodies seemed tiny in comparison to their heads. Thin, small lips, small round noses. And then he notices these other two beings, they're, they're all identical, you know, and they're just staring at him, never saying a word. And at this point, he's like, holy shit, I'm not in the hospital. And he hits yeah. the two creatures. He hits the two creatures on, on the, his right side with the back of his arm. And, you know, they fall backward. Uh, in his book, he notes the, quote, muscles of its puny physique yielded with a sponginess that was more than like that than fat than sinew. It's yeah. like hitting, hitting he, a jello mold. Yeah, well, he he described them as marshmallowy. Oh, okay. They were they were marshmallowy, like a you know, think steak puff marshmallow man. There you go. So he jumps down. He gets down off this table. He stumbles back into this bench that's got all these medical devices, tools of some sort, and this device that's on his chest falls onto the floor. And he said it shot out this greenish beam of light onto the floor from the underside. So that would be the side that was facing his chest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he reaches on to this table. He's looking for something, you know, that he can use as a weapon. Um, 
he so he grabs this thin clear cylinder that he said was around a foot and a half long and he's it's trying to break it so he can use it like a shiv i guess because these (laughs) things are starting to they're like reaching out their hands like trying to come towards him and he's screaming at them the whole time like where am i you know what's going on and they don't ever say a word to him and he said that's the thing that freaked him out the most is they never said a word to him yeah so try as he might he's you know he's slamming this thing down and it just won't break so he gets down in his best fighting stance and he swings at these things as they start to you know move in towards him and he's screaming the whole time uh and they basically back him into a corner. So he holds his tube. He finally gets his tube up and he just holds it up over his head like he's going to wiffle ball bat these bitches. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then they just stop and they're, you know, give him like a stop, like hand signal type thing. And they just turn around and they just leave the room. So he stops. He looks for a better weapon to use, you know, something to, that would maybe be a little more harsh than a wiffle ball bat. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah. He, he doesn't see anything. So he heads towards the door and he turns left, uh, running down a curving hallway that he said was just three feet wide because he'd seen the creatures leave in the right. So he said the ceilings gave off a very faint light and uh, the hall turned continuously to the right. Uh, he, he came to a doorway, the first door he came to, and he looked, you know, he's looking for a way out basically. And he said he, he goes into this room that's about 16 feet across. It's got 10 foot high ceilings and it was completely empty except for a chair. So he's very carefully moving towards this chair because the chair is not facing him. And he's afraid somebody might be sitting in that chair and he does not want to encounter another one of these things. Right. Yeah. So, but is it, is it, you said it, like the, this room's like 16 feet across and it took him a while to get to it. So does he think he's still on the ship? Yeah. Or, Oh, so yeah. so he's still on the ship. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because they said, what did they say, 40 feet? They thought it was like 40 feet, but I, I guess 40 feet circumference is pretty big. Yeah. 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 So he said the closer that he got to this chair, the darker this room became. He said he could see small points of light on the ceiling walls and the floor as he got closer to it. He said the chair had uh, a handle on the left arm, uh, and a green illuminating scream on the right arm with a square underneath it containing around 25 buttons. Cool. And like a dumbass, he just starts putting, pushing some of these buttons in hopes that it'll <laughs> open a door. But instead of like any magical door opening, he says all these points of light started to shift around him. So basically, I think he was in like a map room or maybe this was like the control center. You know like what I mean? Navigation. Yeah. <laughs> just start yeah. hitting all these buttons. Yeah. And, you know, so he, he's, he's like, okay, I don't want to wreck this. You know, I don't, I don't kill myself here. I wreck this spaceship. So he just stops pushing buttons. And he said, he hears a sound and he turns around and he sees this human being, which he describes as like six foot two muscular build around 200 pounds. And this, this person's wearing a clear helmet and these tight fitting blue, like suit this black with black boots and a black belt. Clear, so like tra- clear helmet, like the Jetsons, just like a like a yeah. fishbowl on their head. Yeah, like like old school Flash Gordon. Yeah, like a fishbowl <laughs> type helmet. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so Travis runs up to him and just starts talking to him, asking him all these questions. But this person just remains silent. He said he 
He had like a smite, a slight smile, and that's that's about all he gave him. And he takes Travis by the arm and leads him gently, you know, out of this room, further down the hallway, down this. Uh, he said they went into like what he described as like a decompression room, mm-hmm. where they sat for a few minutes, and then uh, this ramp comes down, and they go down this ramp. He said it was like short, steep uh, ramp. Is like eight, ten feet to the ground. And uh, he, he's continuing to try to talk to this guy the, the whole time. Is in this guy's just basically gesturing him to come with him, you know, just follow him. He said as soon as he got out of the craft, he noticed that uh, they were, uh, it was like a daylight. He noticed it was, seemed like it was daylight in color, but uh, he also he said he noticed the cool, refreshing air. Cool, clean, refreshing air. Yeah. So, uh, well, he said it was hard to breathe up there where he first woke up, right? And that once you yeah, said he yeah. said it was hard to breathe. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, I think what he's describing he's he's describing uh, walking out of this craft, and he he realizes he thinks you know it's, it's bright as daylight uh, where he's at, but he's he's like it's a it's a, like a giant hangar. So he's in oh. this giant hangar, and he Uh-oh. sees. Uh, um, turns around, he looks, and it's like the craft. He said. The craft he exited looked a lot like the one that he saw in the woods, but this one seemed a lot larger, um, like 40 feet in diameter. So yeah. I don't know if it was the same craft that, you know, he saw in the woods or not. Well, what's up, up in the air? You would have a, you know, you wouldn't, I don't think you would know exactly. You wouldn't be able to tell as much as if it was on the ground and you were that close to it. Like if it's up there, right. you'd be like, well, maybe it's farther away and it's smaller, or maybe it's closer and bigger. Right, right. Plus, um, you'd be shitting your pants. Oh yeah, the whole time <laughs> for sure. He said there were other crafts in this hangar as well, uh, oval shaped, um, and then a couple that looked exactly like the one that he'd exited from. Uh, so this this man continues to lead Travis along the hangar to a hallway and through a set of double doors. And then they enter this white room with the table and chair inside it. And then they're met by three other humans. He said uh, two of them were, were men. One was a woman. They're all, he said they were gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Were uh, they wearing black suits? All had <laughs> the same, uh, like, bright blue uniform on. Huh. But they weren't wearing, but these, these three were not wearing helmets. Uh, he said, you know, when they finally brought him in this room, he, you know, he saw these people and he said, would somebody please tell me where I'm at? He said, what the hell's going on? Where is this place? No answer. They did not answer him. They only looked at him and slightly smiled. And then one of uh, these men and the woman come to, you know, they came around this table towards him and then they took him by an arm each. So they each have one of his arms and they lead him around this table, lift him up. Easily, he says, onto the edge of this table and then push him gently back down on his back onto the table. Then this woman places what he thought was probably like a clear oxygen mask over his mouth. And that's when everything kind of goes great for him. The next thing he remembered is lying in the pavement, looking up as this craft shot straight up into the night sky. That's terrifying. So, uh, well, I mean, at least he didn't remember getting anally probed. I mean, that could have been worse. <laughs> you, you, know what happened. For that. you know what happened. It definitely happened. That's what they want. It's their main goal. 
That's all they did care about. Uh, what's up with you and the anal probes, Far? I'm terrified. Uh, so after this uh, hypnosis session, APRO sent uh, Travis for a medical exam. And they noticed he has a small, he had a small puncture wound around his elbow, like similar to like a hypodermic needle. Uh, and other than that, he showed no signs of injury, which is uh, really weird considering, you know, these guys saw him get pushed yeah. back. It, so it's hard. almost like they helped him. Did they? It's almost like, it's almost like they healed him. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And the, the other thing is, is the other, the other people that talk about encounters with aliens it's so crazy that they all mention like humans come in. So are they human or are they, can they make themselves look like however they want to, to you? We'll, we'll get into the different types of aliens at some point. We don't have time to do it today. <laughs> That's a whole episode by itself. Exactly. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there was another year analysis, you know, a test done on the original voided specimen. Uh, and, uh, it showed that there was a lack of ketones. Uh, so that meant that he was not without food. Like he wasn't starving for the five days he was gone. Hmm. Although he was really dehydrated. So, um, but when asked, Travis stated that he believed the aliens took him to help him, possibly because he got caught in that beam of light. And when I, when, when I read uh, the portions of different articles on this. It seemed to me like he probably had radiation poisoning is my guess. Mm-hmm. And he probably would have died had they not taken him. Could have you know, been. He, it w- he, he mentioned it was like one of those things. Like he, he said well, he felt like he was burning on the inside and the outside of his body. So that to me just says, yeah, radiation. Uh, like he was in a microwave. So, do, you, do you think they thought maybe this, whatever this thing is, is coming for us, hit it. And then when they hit it, and the other people left. They were like, "Ah, shit! Yeah, yeah shit. you can't just leave him there." Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Mike! I told you not to do that. Too quick on the button, Mike. <laughs> anyway, on roadkill. So over the next few weeks, debunkers would all start to harass Travis and the members of the work crew. Uh, one of these jackasses, in particular, named Philip Class made it his life's mission to debunk, you know, he made it his life's mission to debunk UFO cases. He, he harassed these guys, you know, trying to get them all to claim it was a hoax. Um, told, you know, told everybody that Travis had stated one point that he'd tried marijuana a couple of times, you know, it's the seventies and he used this statement to push it to the public. Pro- probably Travis was a drug user because, you know, he'd had that puncture wound on his elbow. More than yeah, likely, it had been a, a mix of acid and angel dust. You don't shoot acid and angel dust, you fucking idiot. Plus, you're a reporter. You're gonna go. You're gonna go mouthing some guys that cut down trees for a living, right? <laughs> that guy's got right. some balls, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's. He went. Uh, he went. He went on to go as far as to call Mike Rogers a goddamn liar on Larry King Live. Oh, yeah. you can find that on on uh, on online. Uh, he went after all these guys relentlessly for years and he did this until he died. Was he choked to death in the middle of the night by some super strong (laughs) man that used to haul around lumber? (laughs) We can only hope, but like, like for, for real, like he'd harass them with letters, phone calls. He'd show up on their doorstep, 
Some of these guys had changed their names, moved away out of state. Yeah, that's he found that's, their he found their forwarding addresses, and this relentless fucking asshole would go to their house and just be like, "Look, just just tell tell me it was just tell me it was all a lie." He offered uh, Stephen Pierce, the younger guy, he offered him ten grand to just say the whole thing was a lie. But Stephen Pierce never ever took him up on that offer, even though he badly needed like, the money at one point. It's like 50 grand 70s money. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And none of these guys profited from this. It like destroyed their lives. It didn't help them, so they weren't yeah. tr- trying yeah. to make anything of it. Yep. It like, um, for over uh, for 40 years, you know, all these guys that witnessed this, they have stuck to the same story. No deals, no none of the details have changed. They've like I said they passed multiple polygraphs throughout the years. They've all suffered. Um Travis wrote a book called the Travis Walton experience. And then later he wrote another version called fire in the sky, uh, which that's the one, you know, because they turned that one into the movies in in the nineties. Uh, although it doesn't really follow his story very well. Right. Uh, they give him a serious Hollywood treatment. Yeah. Well, they, uh, that the film, the, the film's producer said that Travis's story was, well, it's just kind of boring. So they, they turn the aliens into these horrifying monsters. Uh, when one of the uh, writers for this book interviewed all the men for the movie, she said they were all pretty boring and not too bright. So she didn't think they could be making this up. What an <laughs> asshole. Well, it's just an interesting fact. I mean, well, well, they also wouldn't take $10,000 to say they were lying when they weren't making money from saying it was the truth. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so later on, uh, Mike uh, goes back into this forest where this happened and uh, he takes a section of one of the trees in the area and uh, has it analyzed. And it showed since that time, it showed signs of rapid growth rings, but only on the side, only on the side of the tree that was facing the craft. Yeah. That is the thing that pops up. That pops up, and yeah. I've heard that in a lot of things where, like, the vegetation around where they lay and grows yeah. quicker. Uh, around uh, Chernobyl, um, you know, similar type growth rings on the trees around yeah. Chernobyl from the uh, nuclear accident there. Yeah. Um, really weird story, man. Really weird. See, I was I thinking. I'm just... <clears throat> Go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. I, I always thought, like, my my whole thing about, like, the UFOs and why you couldn't hear them is, like, the Earth's magnetic pool, right? So I thought, you know how you get the opposite side of magnets together and they won't stick? They just hover together. Like, if you could harness that somehow, that's why it could move so fast and make no sounds. But this sounds like it's, like, nuclear power somehow. Yeah. Have, have you ever, have you looked into Bob Lazar? I'm sure you guys have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Know all about yeah. It. Like, yeah. yeah. He talks about how those those craft they make no sound and uh they like essentially bend gravity or you know they use gravity to bend space essentially yes. they, they they they're like just leapfrogging from point to point to point yeah um and and so they're not actually like propelling themselves they're it's like, like creating like leap. a wormhole yeah yeah they're just they're just like essentially yeah they're bending space not yeah. moving themselves that's this that's insane but um he, he talked. He talked a lot about how uh, they, they. The one time he saw it fly, 
well, they pulled it out onto the tarmac and it just hovered there. No, it made no sound. He said like eight or nine, ten feet above the ground. He just he, you could walk underneath it, which is really unusual. He said, if it, you know, even if it was a magnet um, or of some kind, it it you shouldn't be able to walk underneath it or, or something. I don't remember exactly. I right, you, you would you would see you feel you feel something, feel or sense some pull. sort of force. Push, yeah, some, push, wolf, some kind push of push or pull, you know, a positive or negative. Right, uh, yeah, you would, you'd have some sense of look, warpage. Or your <laughs> yeah. zipper, the zipper on your coat or buttons. Would right, s- anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um, that's a great story, man. Yeah, man. Um, he Travis Walton continues to attend UFO conferences like around the world, retelling this encounter to this day. Um, there's a great documentary if you, if anybody wants to check it out. It's just called Travis. You can find it on uh, app like uh, let's see Tubi's. It's on Tubi for free if you if you want to check it out. Um, and if you're really interested, um, you can get a copy of his book. It will take a little bit. Uh, yeah. it, it it took mine uh, about two and a half weeks to get here, but um, you can pick one up on TravisWalton.com for thirty bucks. And I didn't ask. I didn't. I didn't ask for uh, an autograph, but I got uh, an autograph from Travis Walton, and I have Travis Walton's PO box, and he also sent me a a DVD. So that's pretty cool for thirty bucks, man. That's pretty. pretty You know, they're in a cardboard box by his door. He's just got you know. He's just got them sitting there stacked up, and he grabs one through. Probably, yeah. You know, you know it's that way. He's like a musician. He's just yeah. got you know. The, the, the poor guy's not still not making any money. You see him on interviews exactly. and stuff. He's still got like yeah, a yeah. crappy brown suit on, like he had in nineteen eighty two. Yeah, you know. I, I, know. I think uh, the most the, the last the last thing I think I saw him on most recent thing was probably uh, Rogan, Joe Rogan. Yeah, he was. A, yeah, it was, it was like two years Rogan? ago. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, I don't know. Wasn't I, a long segment. It, no, it wasn't. But uh, I just find it's it's interesting that you know that it, it's almost fifty years ago. Stories never changed. That's and pretty it, impressive. I I kind of no. I, I kind of tend to want to believe it, but that's I guess that's just me. No, that's me too, man. I'm, I'm yeah. all over that. That and Betty and Barney Hill, their their, their stories never changed. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of those guys, they, 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 they're very compelling stories. And with all the sightings now, I mean, I don't know who they are, what it is, but there's obviously something buzzing around our skies. You know, I don't, it, it just makes sense that with our, our new capabilities, everybody's a, basically a cameraman. Now we're going to pick up something. Yeah. But I, I guess these, these, these things, whatever they are, these orbs are, they're, they're constantly out off the coast messing with our, the Tic Tacs, yeah. Oh. Yeah, those things yep. are constantly there. They're always yep. there. Yep, yep. This is more and more reports coming in. They're letting it out and being like, yep, there's something. Yep. Have either of you guys, have either of you guys seen a UFO? Never. I thought I did one time. Um, I really did. Uh, we were driving down in Florida. We were along, the, there's a, the coastal highway there down towards like Key West. And we were driving. Uh, there's a really long bridge that goes to Key West, you know, goes over yeah, all yeah. the keys and whatnot. We yeah. were driving over, and I saw this silver orb in the sky as plain as day. I mean, it was in the middle of the day, wow. and I was like, 
my wife was sleeping, and so was my. Um, Did you give her one of those? Like, come on, wake up, wake up. Wake <laughs> no, up. I, I I wanted to, but I wanted to make sure it wasn't you know a balloon or something. And but oh, it yeah. never moved. It never moved. It just stayed right there. And I was like, oh my god, I'm looking at a UFO. You know, I, I was looking around at people. Pete, nobody seemed to notice in the cars around me. Like nobody seemed to be like pointing or whatever. And but sure enough, I got closer, and it was just a balloon. It was like, <laughs> ah, shit. I was so psyched, though. I can't tell you how excited oh, I was. Man. I was so pumped. I was so pumped. I was like, I had my can. I, I was driving with my phone, you know, like all like this. Oh, and I was yeah. like filming it and everything. Yeah, I got up there. You can see the str- you can see the strings and ropes hanging off the bottom. Oh, like, God. What the fuck they call this uh, kind of balloons? The ones that hold the helium that are like that. I, don't remember. <laughs> I was got, so stoked. Most of them got a bright silver back. It wasn't the front that had like a panda bear on it or some shit. It was the back <laughs> <of the> silver. <laughs> it's, it's a giant weather balloon is all. Look at it. It's coming right for us. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, Matt, um, tell everybody where they can uh, go to check out your, your latest uh, tour dates and uh, where they can pick up all your re- latest releases. MattPossBand.com. It's actually the only spot you can hear my music right now. I took everything down from Spotify. I'm going to re-release it um, onto DistroKid because uh, CD Baby. Um, well, I shouldn't even say those names. I'm sorry. But um, I wasn't happy <laughs> with it. Get out. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to re-release it, and uh, mattpossband.com is the only place you can hear any of my music right now online, and YouTube. You can hear it on YouTube, but that's just me and my guitar farting around and some live band stuff. But, uh, yeah, you can it's youtube.com forward slash mattposs. Right on. So, and yeah. uh, stick around after uh, the outro music, and uh, I'll have uh, one of Matt's songs playing after that, so... Hell yeah. Be sure and be sure and go check out Matt Postband, uh one of the uh best writers that I know in Illinois for sure. And uh I miss Jan with you, man. You too, brother. You too. Love you guys. That's, that's, you, the way, that's the way to do it, dude. Just do it yourself. Don't let anybody else take some of your money away. It's freaking crazy. <laughs> it's like musicians don't make money from freaking music when they go through other people. It's only like merch and shows. That's it. That's it. You that's it. Nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Pennies on the dollar, half penny on the dollar. <laughs> oh, it's bananas! Yeah, how little money you can you make. You know that's why um, all my buddies are doing what you guys are doing. We're all diversifying and trying to trying to get audiences other other places. You know, at least. And I've even thought about launching a podcast too. But you guys beat me to it and show me how to do it, man. I love it. It's like t- talking about UFOs. Hey. This is this is the stuff. If you guys ever talk about UFOs, please include me in the podcast because I'm I'm all about it. We right. had a couple. You missed Benny and Betty and Barty Hill, but yeah, this is only the second one we've done on UFOs. I'm Maybe off, we'll man. Uh, yeah, it's a cryptid. It's a different thing. Yeah, but a Bigfoot. Yeah. I'm into Bigfoot too. <laughs> we and, just, uh, <laughs> you just missed it, man. We just did the uh, the Ohio grass man. Yeah, with the um, frog man, loveling frog man. All right, so squash. We get in. We get into any squashes. We'll let you know. Okay. Thank you. Hell yeah! <laughs> All right. Happy birthday. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, Appreciate exactly. It. Happy birthday, Zach. Guys, thanks for hanging out with us. Continue to like, rate, review, subscribe, or uh, whatever to the podcast. I don't know what they call it these days. It's all always changing. Uh, but uh, you can always hit us up online on the social medias. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Or you can email us at hmfp, P-O-D, at gmail.com. 
thank you guys for hanging out with me on my birthday. Appreciate it very much. Cheers, Cheers to all y'all. And uh, guys, thank you all for listening. And uh, until next week, we'll see you next Tuesday. Later. Later. Bob Lazar and George and Lex and Jeremiah Corbell. We met Tom DeLong at S4, pop buttons and kicked in the door, yelling, Mick West, you can go to hell. We got your drug war and a sex war and a never-ending golf war. All you nerds jump up and give me a squeal. Cause who gives a damn about blockchain or cancellation cocaine? Cause holy shit, UFOs are can't accuse me of being woke, but brother, I'm so stoked. While folks are walking around like it's no big deal. Mr. News, may I inquire why your hair is not on fire? Yelling, holy shit, UFOs are real. Yeah, little dab will do you. Said, amen, hallelujah. Holy shit, UFOs are real. I said, holy fucking shit, UFOs are real.